Hello, Richard. Hi, Tom. Lovely I'm, to be. I'm very happy and excited to have the chance to talk with you in person. Uh, and before I ask you the first question, I would like to say thank you to you because you, together with Sam Harris, made a very important impact in my life uh, with showing me a little bit more precise who I really am, I guess. Uh, just a few glimpses, maybe, but uh, I think I'm closer to this question I had. Uh, and now I'm very happy that I have the, the chance to talk with you in person uh, and hope that some of our listeners uh, benefit from your approach as, as I did. So thank you very much, much Richard. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, my first question, could you please introduce you a little bit maybe as the person, Richard, and then also how you, you would describe yourself from the perspective of the Headless Way? Sure. Well, I am Richard. I'm 70. And more than 50 years ago, I was a teenager and I was interested in spirituality, I suppose. And I was looking for my true nature. And by chance, I attended a Buddhist conference in England in 1970 and met Douglas. And that influenced my life hugely. I, uh, I understood what Douglas was doing as much as I could at the time. I loved his experiments. And so I joined in the party. <laughs> I, I come from the north of England. Uh, I live in London now. Um, yeah. Thank you. And from the perspective of the Headless Way, how would you would you describe yourself? Well, I would say that I was one of Douglas Harding's many friends who took up the torch and did. We are doing our best to share this simple approach to awakening to your true nature, seeing you're built open for others, for you, for the world. And uh, yes, we're, I, I'm part of a, a loose-knit group of friends. Uh, Douglas had a lot of friends. I used to hang out with them, with him. And uh, we all shared this experience and learned as we went along with it. And I have seen how effective it is in terms of transmitting the experience of being your true nature, face to no face, looking out of a single eye, being still while the scenery moves. So all these are very simple ways of transmitting the experience and then making friends, really. So I don't go around uh, as a guru making students. I go around as someone making friends, meeting people and sharing this experience with them and hopefully um, uh, finding out how it's uh, how they're coping with being the one and only. <laughs> being space for the world. Yes, exactly, you see, exactly. And what is the beautiful thing is, is that it becomes common language. Like you've just said, being space for the world. 30 years ago, you would not get that many people using that language, but today you do. And through the internet and through the experiments, I say, through all kinds of fantastic developments, this awareness and this developing understanding of what this awareness is and the power of it and the importance of it 
this is growing. And so, uh, you see, I, I'm meeting you. I, it never crossed my mind, will Tom be aware of his true nature or not? I mean, of course, if you're not, where have you been? <laughs> nice. Thank you. So I would like to structure our interview in four parts. In part one, I would like to talk with you about the signs of the first person or the headless way. What is it? Do some experiments. In the second part, I would like to talk about the benefits. Are there benefits and uh, in which area? Uh, the third part is about possible dangers. Do we have to care about specific topics would also could lead in wrong directions? And the, the fourth part, I would like to talk, if we have enough time, about the relationship between signs of the first person and signs of the third person an area where I myself have the highest difficulties to understand it, to talk about it. Uh, and maybe we can clarify some of my uh, problems there. But first, uh, signs of the first person. Before I heard this expression the first time, I already loved signs of the third person, uh, which for me is like, try to understand the world with logic and reason, with uh, seeing criticism as a gift to find good explanations why think, things work the way they do. And then I came across this expression, signs of the first person. And today I love as well signs of the first person, which you and Douglas Harding introduced to me. So could you please explain to our listeners what is signs of the first person? Well, what happened was when Douglas Harding first saw that he was headless for himself, he was looking out of open space at the world. That was in 1943. And he had actually been working on this question for about 10 years. And he was coming at it through what you were calling science of the third person, science of the object. And he was looking at himself as an object and understood he had layers like an onion. And the nearer someone approached, the less there was. And all these layers fit together, whether they're molecules, cells, a person, the society, the planet. It's all one living system. And he had the understanding that at the center of the system, there, there couldn't be another thing. The closest you got to any object, including himself, it, it had practically disappeared by the time you got very, very close. It made sense that there was a mysterious kind of nothingness at the center. But Douglas was not happy to rely on speculation. And so he didn't stop having worked that out. He carried on trying to find out if he could verify the nature of the center, which of course he understood made sense in terms of spiritual ideas about who you really are and the center of the of yourself. And what happened was at one moment, he stopped thinking, stopped all that complicated thinking, which was very important for him to try and make sense of who he was in the world, like you were saying, according to the objective assessment of science. He stopped thinking, he just looked. I looked down at his body and he saw his arms and legs and torso, but no head. And instead of his head, his hands disappeared into this open space full of the world. Now that is 
the first person point of view, as opposed to what you would call the third person. Third person in in grammar means uh, he or she, I suppose, or they. First person means I. So this is now Douglas looking from the I, from the first person point of view, and seeing who he was, and he was not a thing. And that verified this speculation of what he was coming at himself from the outside. And then, of course, uh, that was only the beginning of his research, because he spent another 10 years working very hard, working out how the third person and the first person fit together, you see. And they're really different views of the same thing, the view from the outside towards the center and the view from the inside out. And uh, the, the first person, in a way, is the opposite of the third person. Now, we're all very used to seeing ourselves as other seers with a head, what we look like in the mirror, and we operate from that point of view, which is absolutely vital. And we are not that aware of what we are from our own point of view, the first person point of view. And if we ever do notice that we can't see our own head, we dismiss it as irrelevant and childish and a bit mad, really. So we, we don't value it. Well, what Douglas Harding did was say, look, this view of you is as valid as the other person's view of you. And let's look at it. And of course, as soon as you start to explore it, first of all, you you find, for example, from the outside, you're moving from the inside, you're still and everything else is moving. From the outside, you're separate from others, but from the inside, it's face to no face. See? Uh, so uh, the experiments that Douglas then developed to communicate this experience of the first person, which is your true nature, which you can read about in Buddhism and Christianity, and they're all aiming at the same reality at, at our center, which is boundless and awake and incredibly creative and responsive, you see. And we're, uh, we're unaware of it, and so we don't draw on it as a resource in our lives. Well, what Douglas was saying, well, all right, get all that, but let's, let's go at it with our modern spirit of observation and test it out and see whether this is true and in what sense it makes sense. And Douglas in the late 60s and 70s developed his experiments. He wrote a lot, but he then developed these experiments, face to no face, pointing, all of that, uh, which then made it very easy to share this with people. And uh, of course, then uh, a bit later, the internet came along, which makes it even more easy to share because this is not an obscure philosophy. This is have a look now at the place you're looking out of. Do you see anything there? No, aren't you instead space for the world? You see, so yeah, he made sense of it. If you're interested in that kind of thinking about it, I recommend Douglas Harding. Uh, he just did a huge amount of work, uh, really good work. Uh, and uh, you can go down a rabbit hole with all of that, uh, but some of us like rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I can... Uh, uh, this book is very good. The, it, it's the Headless Way. Um, it's in German, this one. <laughs> yeah. um, I can recommend it. And of course, also all the materials on your YouTube channel. And for me, uh, your course on the Waking Up app made a huge difference. Uh, that, and I would recommend it to everybody. To there is, you can go to the app for free for I think a week or something, and 
your course there is just amazing like the structure you have like all the experiments uh, very helpful and very clear and for me the science of the first person is like it takes serious how it feels to be being from my point of view not from the outside but it's like tom trust how it feels from your perspective and this is a very important perspective for me and i hope also for others maybe we could do some experiments could you share maybe the pointing experiment and maybe the mirror experiment uh yeah sure uh well the pointing one they're all basically aiming at the same point of view uh, but uh, if anyone is at all in, uh, aware of Tibetan Buddhism, they in Dzogchen they have pointing out experiments. Now this is quite a you know small sect, but pointing out is just directing your attention, and the idea is to direct your attention outwards and then to turn it around and look at what you are from your own point of view. It's it's, it's so simple, so the viewer can just point at the screen and you look down your finger. I'm pointing at Tom now, and I see Tom's face there. So there you are. I, I don't need to ask anyone else. I just look for myself, what is there? See, and I'm pointed at anything in the room, and I'll point at a thing. But when I point back at the place I'm looking out of, which the viewer can try, see, well, what do you see there? Well, you can't ask anyone else. You look for yourself. Well, I just see my finger. I don't see my head exactly. So I, in words, this is basically a non-verbal experience, but in words I'd say my finger's pointing at no thing, space, awareness, see, not a thing here. And then I point out with the other hand to just indicate that this space that I am at center here isn't just empty, it's full. It's full. You know, uh, years ago I uh, was contacted by a guy in Athens, George his name is, still in touch with him and his wife. And uh, he told me that, this is years ago, he was about 30, and he was a bit depressed. He spent 10 years trying to find his spiritual true nature and couldn't find it, and was really frustrated. And he said to himself, I'm going to go on the internet, and I'm just going to keep looking until I find it, and I'm not going to stop until I find it, which is rather a big risk. Anyway, fairly soon... He came across me doing the pointing experiment, would you believe? And all credit to him, he did it. He didn't just dismiss it as childish or watch me doing it and not doing it yourself, which is another way of avoiding it, viewer. <laughs> he did it. And you know what he said? Well, he, he just burst out laughing. And he called his girlfriend, Evelina, over and said, you've got to try this. He said, you've got to try this. And she did it, and they told me they laughed for an hour and a half. Now, an hour and a half is a long time. <laughs> because it had been hidden in plain sight. You're looking out of your true nature, you see. So that is one. Another one is really practical, is to look at somebody in front of you, like me. And you see my face there. Well, at the same time, notice you don't see your face. See, my hands disappear into space here. So I say that I'm now face to no face with you. 
or I have your face instead of my own, or I'm trading faces with you, or I'm, like you said, space for you. This is a game changer. Is it, there's nothing in the way of the other person. Well, it, it, it's just uh, that alone. If you live from that, if you stay awake, because we drift off into thoughts all the time about what people think about us and who we are and all of that, which is a sort of outside view, isn't it? It's the third person view, as you were saying. It is important as what you see in the mirror. But what the headless way is saying is what I'm saying is just pause and wake up to what you are. And it's so different from what you were told. And the mirror is such a good, becomes a friend because it shows you where your face is. Next time you look in the mirror, notice it's, a, it's showing you where your face is. There, showing you what you look like at half a meter or whatever it is. And while you're looking in the mirror, it's a very good meditation, notice there's nobody looking. See, So it, it, if you close your eyes and ask yourself how big you are, on present evidence, well, I say, I can't say how wide I am or how old I am, uh, you see. And all the thoughts and feelings are coming and going in this unchanging space. So now I'll just open my eyes again. So all these experiments are on the website, on YouTube channels, uh, and so on. And they're very friendly and they're there for exploring. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. I think that there are a lot of persons who think that this is childish. No, maybe that's the wrong word, but don't get the point. It, um, I think when when I point at you and they could say like, so what? Or they don't get it. Um, I think there is a danger in there that they don't take it serious. They think maybe, oh, Tom is getting crazy. <laughs> yes. But I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, basically. And they uh, got a right to react like that. Why not? Um, but uh, I would say that, um, you see, that certainly doesn't change my point of view in the sense of my own experience. I, I Just because someone might not value this is rather interesting rather than being a threat. I mean, oh my goodness, you don't value this. You know, what, what's going on there? That's interesting, you see. So, uh, and I think that people come to it when they're ready and you don't force it and you don't try and persuade anyone. I don't. You just sing your own song. You, you declare, you celebrate the fact of who you are. And if it rings a bell with someone great. If it doesn't, so be it. But I mean, I've studied it enough and all Douglas Harding's books to know it makes sense. So when someone says, oh, it just doesn't make sense, I say, well, you obviously haven't studied it, but who cares anyway? I don't. <laughs> you know, I'm, when you've got a good party going, you don't have to go down the street and advertise it to other people. You just play loud music and eventually they'll turn up. <laughs> maybe to understand it even better uh, i mean i would recommend to do all the exercises uh, exper experiments you you have on your home uh, web page uh, could you please talk about the four stages because i think they are very understandable sure i'm happy to do that tom 
So the four stages that you're referring to there are the baby, the child, the adult, and then the seer. And the baby, in my terms, in our terms, is first person, headless, space for the world. You're pre-verbal. You look at your mum. You don't think of your face as well. You're just open without thinking about it. Uh, uh, so that's the first stage, which we're all all come in with and uh, is very familiar in a way. And if you're with a baby, uh, you can see it's not self-conscious and it's open and it's just being space for the world. What happens is as you grow up, you learn uh, to see yourself as others see you through language and the mirror. And you learn to go out and be to turn around and look back at yourself through the eyes of others. Or I might be looking at you on the screen and seeing myself through your eyes, Tom, and associating that with the image of me and learning what I look like from there and through the mirror. And uh, it is actually empathy because in order to see myself through your eyes, I've got to empathize and place myself over there in your shoes. And you see, you're nodding and I think, oh, well, he's agreeing with me. You know, so do you see how I'm reading into your behavior, all kinds of information about me? And we do that all the time. So the second state of the child is when you are beginning to learn that, but haven't quite got in the box yet. So you're in between two worlds. You're both enjoying your spaciousness. You can now walk and run about and talk. So you've got those skills, but you haven't fully got in the box yet. And so you move between those two worlds. It's a rather beautiful time of life. And uh, we sense that in children. They're very creative and open and flexible and all of that delightful. Now, as you go on, uh, society tells you that you are what society sees you to be. And I put all my trust in everyone around me in terms of what I am and the mirror. And by the time I'm an adult, I fully accept I, I am what you say I am. I am what I look like in the mirror here. But I have a head on my shoulders, a background behind me. I'm Richard and I'm face to face with you because everyone tells me I am. I can't see it, but that's just because, quote unquote, I'm in a bad position to see it, you see. And so the third stage is I am what I look like. I am a thing. And the idea of being headless and being space for the world is nonsense. And that is growing up. Growing up is not knowing to begin with anything about who you are. And then through language and so on, through society, finding out which one you are because you don't know to begin with. So you look in the mirror and you have no choice. You, I have to be Richard. I can't choose to be someone else. And so you learn which one you, you are and you learn to put that on like a mask. So all these sensations I feel that I see nothing here. I learn to marry the image of my face to them so I know where to put my food. I can't see my mouth. But now I associate the image with the image in the mirror, the sensation with the image in the mirror, you see. So all of that, uh, lots of research being done on that is really interesting, how you take on your identity like that and become it. And so you could say the third stage of the adult, you found out who you are, you've identified with that, and you are now living as if you're that. You take responsibility for what you say and do and think, you see all of that. And then, well, that's it. You just make the best of the particular character that you've been handed, see. And uh, then, of course, you die. But 
what the what I'm saying and my friends are saying is saying, well, actually, uh, that isn't all that you are. That's the social view of you, very important for being in society. But the fourth stage is reawakening to what you've always been, uh, your first person point of view and taking it seriously. And because you've forgotten about it, it's like prodigal son going away and then coming back home, and you appreciate home much more if you've been away from it, or you appreciate something you've found if you thought you'd lost it. Well, your true nature is like that. You've never lost it, but you've thought you've lost it, or you've been unaware of it. So now, when you make that full circle and come back to your true nature, well, it... it reveals itself now in fantastic ways that you would have never considered, obviously, as a child. Uh, and uh, face to no face, or being still in the world moving, or countless discoveries await uh, the person who returns home, you see, and looks for, as if for the first time. So that makes sense, those four stages make sense for our personal development. And waking up to who you really are is not some esoteric leap into another cosmos or another state of mind. It's a natural progression. And it's a natural progression personally and amongst friends, see. Uh, and, uh, yeah, many, many things come out of this, you see. I mean, for example, you uh, because you are seeing this in such a available modern, it makes sense in terms of modern science, uh, and you, you're you going by your own experience. So if you doubt it, you can test it. Now, see, I just look. I, I'm doubting what I'm talking about here, that I'm nothing, so I better look. Oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> so I, I can verify it. Now, of course, verifying it for me is to recognize it's true for you. See? And I ask you, and you agree. And suddenly, we've got something incredible in common, our true nature. Now, your view out from there, your response to that is different from mine, which makes it interesting. But my God, now we've got something in common. Now, you've got this in common with everyone, whether or not they are aware of it. That changes the game. You've got it in common with all the different nations that are warring. See, you've got it with your neighbor, the cat. See, the, the bird? This is the true nature of everything and everyone. Now, if you take that seriously, that is going to change how you respond to others who, you know, they might be friends, they might be enemies, but they are yourself at heart. That makes a difference. See, That's what we need in the world at the moment. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. Um, at one point, I think you say, or Sam Harris says, uh the the first insight is just a starting point and uh, now we have to start living from that and uh i personally i think i i can look and see that i'm space for the world but 99% of my day i'm uh, uh captured by my thought and i'm walking around like tom is doing that tom is doing that uh, so what does starting to live from this mean from your perspective? Uh, are you personally walking around the whole day and are aware of your true nature or is it more like just glimpses during the day? 
Well, it's all paradox, Tom. Uh, I, I don't go around thinking about it all the time, although I am involved a lot in communicating about it. So I do think about it quite a bit, but that is because of that reason, really. Um, yes, you've got to live from it, but um, it, it's um, a wonderful thing because when you're looking now, you're not half seeing the space. You can't see it a bit cloudy. You're, you are seeing and being it perfectly. So you're living 100% from it now. See. Uh, so it's not a progressive thing in that way. Now your understanding of it, it progresses and changes and develops and matures. But one of the things that is a signal, a sign of maturity, is you realize that you've got it perfectly now. <laughs> you don't have to. You, but it, there's the paradox, you see. So uh, you've got to, this is the beginning, but you can say that of any practice, you see, it's not just peculiar to the headless way. Uh, it, it, it's beginner's mind, isn't it? Well, let's start again and look. And yeah, the ceiling disappears there. The walls disappear here, wide open into this vast open space. You see, so it's the beginning and the end and the middle. <laughs> nice. With that, maybe we can change to part two, like the benefits of this insight. Like, because for me, uh, this insight has benefits uh, and with Lutai I'm talking about three circles somewhere here it's a I, I'm searching for actions who increase the well-being of oneself then the second circle is for well-being of other sentient beings uh, other sorry other human beings and the third circle is for other sentient beings animals and uh, when this insight is so important for me because most of the time I'm captured by my thought, like I'm sitting in a movie and if there is a happy movie, I'm happy. And if there is a sad movie, I'm sad. And with Sam Harris and your work, I came to the insight that I'm not my next thought and, and I'm not my next feeling. And whenever I, I, I remember that I can look and then there is just space for the world or emptiness or stillness. And I can like a little bit meta-awareness, like I can go out of my thought, which maybe are angry or sad or whatever. And this is like a still point, an important, and this is very beneficial for me. Uh, I think uh, that I don't stay as angry or as sad as long as I have before. Do you see other benefits for yourself, this insight? Well, I don't know where to begin. There are so many. <laughs> That's the thing. And um, uh, you see, it, it's really interesting to hear you talk, Tom. My work these days is is about sharing the experience, but the experience is so simple to share. You, you get over that very quickly. Uh, and uh, I... Uh, take the view I, I, uh, that everyone can see it, you see, because how can you can't see your head? So the, the transmission of the experience, that's not a problem. Um, now, what I find 
uh, interesting these days is uh, accepting that. And whereas before I might talk to people as if they had not got it, now I talk as if you have, because you have. And this uh, uh, puts us on the same page. It puts us on the same side. We're, you see, when you're talking about the stillness there, I, I'm right with you. Now, because it's a non-verbal experience, I, I don't have to use the same words as you. People get tied up in words because people don't use the same words. But once you've got the experience, which is non-verbal, you leap over that. You get straight over that. So it's as if you're sitting in the same place as the other person, but you are listening to them uh, uh, describe what it's like from there. I used to do a lot of telephone counseling. I was a therapist. And uh, I used to be on the phone with people, therapy, and I didn't talk about headlessness because they hadn't come for that, but I was being my true nature, which is the one silence in which two voices happen, you see. Now, uh, that is, first of all, just delightful, experiencing the other voice. Other voice is your own, in you, if you like. But it also, I mean, it pulls down the, the barriers. You, you, I used to, the way I ha used to say it to people is, my job here is to walk alongside you. Well, that was a kind of headlessness thing, because if you're alongside someone, you're not confronting them, you're with them. You're coming from the same space, as it were, without saying it like that. And this um, brings forward a, a sense of uh, trust and intimacy and closeness and friendliness. And you get that, uh, even though you're not talking about it, because you're being it. And the other person can feel it, because it's just so familiar. But from early childhood, you see, this we grow out of that, but we start there in that intimacy and all of that. So, you see, one of the, the benefits of this is a growing sense of friendliness with everyone and everything, that you're on the same side that they are, however, different from you, so you're enjoying their differences. And you're not fighting a battle about who's got it right. You're on, on the same side. Now, that is a kind of image for more general direction one goes in. And I go around doing workshops. Well, I go around hanging out with people, sharing our joy at being the one. You know, I'm not going there teaching people. I mean, I'll, I need to teach them, I suppose, uh, how to do an experiment because they haven't done it before. But I mean, it, you get over that and you say, so now you tell me, you see. And uh, so I, I think that's one of the things, this, this uh, growing friendliness one feels and is reflected back to you. And... Um, love even intimacy in that way yeah so you you described what i would say are the benefits on the second uh, circle like our coexistence with other people and i i feel it the same way as you just explained like the boundaries between people uh in my uh, around me or now with you we are like in the same space we are like 
we are there there is no hard boundary before i got this insight it's like richard over there i'm over here and maybe i have to pretend or to protect myself i don't know like there is a hard boundary between us but with this uh, insight i think also empathy grows i think we are getting closer to everyone in our uh, surrounding yes and your little diagram there of three circles you see the place they meet is in the middle and that's common to everyone and this is the place where we meet which is common to everyone and uh, the world at the moment uh, you know for thousands of years i suppose but anyway uh, today it is unaware of this and we are operating as if we are separate and uh, so then you get into feeling threatened very easily because of, for all kinds of obvious reasons really now not only does this not work it's just it's not the truth if you actually look at someone and ask yourself are we face to face and separate or face to no face well, you get the face-to-no face. I do. And I go around and, and everyone gets it. And it's a shock because we've just been walking around in a dream thinking we are just what we look like. Now, I, I think I continue to walk around thinking about Richard, but now I'm also, like you, aware that it's going on within one's space. And, uh, you know, in a bit like I'm with you and... I have a sense of you and Richard, but yet there's only one. When I'm with Richard, I have a sense of you know Richard, but there's only one. So, yeah, it, it changes everything. And of course, with the third circle, the animals, which we need to take care of, for obvious reasons in the planet. Well, you see, I think that the Atlas Way um, is one of these things that come along at the right time to shake us out of our dream and our delusion, which is sending us, you know, over the brink. I mean, we, we can see that. We need to obviously do what we can at the level of firefighting, but we need also to do something really radical. Well, I mean, what can that be? People are scratching their heads. Well, here, here it is, you see. And this inside this mutation in consciousness has been coming for thousands of years, but it's been slow. But um, every time it's popped up in the great teachers, uh, you can see how powerful it is. And they're respected and revered because not only is it powerful, but it's true. People have a sense this is true. It's saying something very important and good and real and powerful, you see. But people then say, but how do we live this? And, and people don't seem to have an idea. Well, finally, we, we have the tools to make it available to everyone. That's the point. Uh, the, the thing to do now, I say, is we've we got to do, each of us, our best is to wait, to spread this so that it becomes normal. Uh, now, uh, growing up, when I think that when you're a, an infant, you were living in a world where it wasn't normal. To have a head on your shoulders you were you know carefree spacious but you entered into that society and you were conditioned by that society so very quickly you took that on board and became company man company woman you know you joined the club 
because the power of the social view is so overwhelming now. If we then use that to our advantage and we and we it starts to spread, it'll be hard for people to resist. Because A, it's true, B, it's good, you know, it's fun, it makes sense, we need it, you see. Well, whether or not we'll get there, we don't know, but that's what I'm doing my best to celebrate and bring this awareness forward into the species so that we you know, help us not to blow ourselves up. <laughs> Thank you. I also see a lot of benefits from this insight, like you, you just mentioned also in the third part with animals. Um, but you also mentioned something like with the four, uh, four stages, that it is important to, to get through all these stages, like also stage three, the adult, which I could say like uh, uh, um, developing a meaningful ego or ego. And, and in there, I also see, and now we could come to part three, like possible dangers. And one danger I see is in the difference be between waking up and growing up. And I, I would like to, to read you a quote from, from, um, from Blaine Snow, which, uh, which is about this. From a Western perspective, it really matters what kind of self is being deluded and what kind of mind is being recast into a selfless person. Because what kind of self you lose has everything to do with what kind of selfless person you will become. In other words, an immature selfless person is not much better than an immature separate self. He's talking about these processes of waking up, which I would say uh, the headless way is a big help. Uh, but he says also that it's not enough. Uh, we also have to to talk about uh, concepts, how we have to live together, to to talk about democracy or human rights or uh, and I, I mean there are spiritual teachers who behave in a way which from my perspective is not well intentioned in some areas. Maybe maybe they get the 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 headlessness, <laughs> but uh, they behave like uh, I don't know sexual things uh, with students or. What are your thoughts about this topic? Well, uh, I think that um, when you're a baby, you don't yet know about your ego, do you, I suppose? You're not yet aware of your appearance in that way. Growing up, you need to take that on board and become a person and forget who you really are in as much as you've known it. And that is vital. And discovering who you are in the eyes of society is to discover your your strengths and your weaknesses, uh, both, you see. Now, when uh, you wake up to who you really are, uh, I say that you find that true, pure self at your center, but you continue to find your human self somewhere out there. Mine's on the screen and somewhere here, and I have to uh, you know, relate with Richard and uh, all of that. And this is not a denial of Richard and of my responsibilities as Richard. It is a placing of it. 
and are seeing that here I'm not Richard, but there I am. So not denial of uh, being Richard, it's uh, kind of locating. And um, then, uh, uh, yes, I, I, I think that, um, well, well, yes, I think that's basically my... <laughs> yes. My my uh, my impression is sometimes that people who are on this uh, journey to discover to transcend their ego, uh, they think like I just have to get rid of my ego and then I'm something like a saint or something, and uh, all my actions will be good. And I think that this is a misunderstanding. Yes, I agree with you and. Uh... You see, when you see who you are, uh, it's not Richard seeing who I am, it's the one seeing who it is. So I'm not claiming anything for Richard. I'm saying that, that uh, Richard remains as he is, and uh, in that region, we need to talk about the bills, and we need to talk about democracy, and we, we need to be careful with how we relate to each other and talk about it. All that goes on. You see, and I'm not claiming here that somehow I have ascended above it and become spiritual. I'm saying that there's absolutely nothing here, and it's not Richard being aware of my true nature. It's the one, and it's the one in you that's being aware of it. And that sorts it out, and that means uh, that you don't go down that rabbit hole of trying to sort yourself out and purify yourself and all of that, because you'll never do it. You locate it, and um, I think there's a certain hum humility in that. Uh, you, you're not claiming anything. Um, you're not claiming anything that isn't true. Yeah. Thank you. A, a second uh, danger that I see is like um, with the term spiritual materialism. Maybe you have heard about that. Uh, like Alan Watts says at one point, the biggest ego trip going is going rid of your ego. That could be uh, thinking of this part or um, Sam Harris says somewhere, adopting a new spiritual identity is a trap and is some ways it's a less honest. It's one thing to be egocentric, to want money for fame or beauty, to be proud or worldly accomplishment, social status. There is a basic honesty to be an egomaniac. It is another thing to be pretending to be above such mundane pursuits and all the while your ego is finding a new way. It's possible to take pride in one's humility. The ego is very clever. It will use anything you give it. The sense of becoming someone in this domain is a total bullshit. That's Sam Harris. <laughs> well, I, I think that's some some kind of danger. What do you think about that? Well, I remember Douglas Harding giving a talk in Melbourne, Australia in 1991. So he was, I don't know, he was getting on. Is it 80 something? And uh, it was what he was thinking about at the time. And, and he said, the face in the mirror, your ego, whatever, you know, there it is in the mirror. Now keep it there. Because if you let it creep up your arm, 
If you let it out of that little glass cage there and creep up your arm, it will come and kill you. It will try and sit on your shoulders and overtake and become. And, and what do you do uh, with that spiritual ego who wants to sit on the throne and be all spiritual? Well, I mean, as soon as you start to talk with it, it, it you're in, you've lost, haven't you? Because it's going to fool you. Uh, you know, there's no way around it. What you do is exercise your true power, which is to return it to base, return it to the mirror, return it to the screen, see where it is, and keep it there if you if you like. And see, it's not here. You see, there, there's nothing here, not even an ego here, but there is one there. And what it's trying to do all the time is creep up your arm. <laughs> well, you've got to keep looking. You've got to stay awake. See, it's attention. Attention. It's not manipulation of to, to, you know, somehow make sure the ego isn't being spiritual. or what. You'll never, never sort that out. But see where the ego is. See where your appearance is. It's there and not here. And that's the freedom, see. And then you have to say, well, Richard is as corrupt as they all are. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not... I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't ever make any claims in that realm at all for Richard, but I make claims for this one. So this one is pure, open, clear. People say, oh, that's your ego. I said, well, it might look like they're from there, but it's not from here. And I'm going to be true to my own point of view. And that's the first person, because you can't prove it and you can't show it. You know, so when someone says, oh, you're just being egotistical, you just you have to say, well, thank you very much for your feedback, but I'm going to look for myself. <laughs> you know, thank and, you. Uh, and that is what it's about: looking for yourself and being true to yourself, and speaking up for yourself and saying, whatever you all say about me, I get that it's true from there. I, I accept that. I'm going to take responsibility for it. But at center, I'm not that. And this vast openness full of everything, and I'm going to live from this and not from what you tell me I am, primarily. Yeah. Nice. So I would come to part four, the last part, which is the re relationship between the signs of the first person and the signs of the third person. And in this area, uh, sometimes I hear you say things where I have problems to follow you. And I, I would like to read one, one part and ask you something about it. So you say in the epilogue that you are not in time. Time is in you. Each day comes and goes, but you do not come and go. You look into time from the timeless. Whatever situation you are in there in the world, it is temporarily. But the place you're looking out of is always here. This is your eternal home. As this space that you are, you were never born. Things are born in you. You are not born of anything. As this space, you will never die. Things die, but the space that you are is not a thing. There is nothing here to die. Awareness, your true self, is immortal. And, and here, I think I always mix like the signs of the first person with the signs of the third person. Because from from perspective of the signs of the third person, I think that this awareness that, that is coming out of my embodiment as a human being, um, 
I mean, I think that um, when Tom is going to die, there is no space left. The space which Tom or emerged out or inside of Tom. I see myself as a process, as a as a sentient being, and a little bit more specific as a as a as a human being. I don't have a body, and I don't am a body, but I'm a process. And and in this word of you, I hear out that this space no, is not going to die, and this I don't understand. Well, I would say, Tom, that. Uh... The basic experience is nonverbal and utterly simple, and you are it. You haven't even got it, you are it. And I have no doubt about that. I'm talking to you as if you are aware of the same space as me, and I have no doubt you are. But anyway, there you go. But your understanding of it and your way of talking about it and thinking about it is different from mine. And vive la différence. That is great. So if, if you don't go along with some of the things I say, the way I say it, uh, the understanding that I have, I say, no matter, no matter. And uh, that's good. That means there's something for us both to think about and explore and open up, perhaps. Uh, and I think that uh, the understanding is important, very important, but even more important is just the simple yes you know yes this is true and then um all these differences and uh, will will resolve themselves or not in time so uh, uh no matter i say <laughs> but when so i understand you right that you believe that when you are going to die as richard this awareness or this uh space for the world is still around. Do I get it right? Yes, because it's not in time. That's what I would say, yes. yes. There'll always be something in it. Its nature is it's always full of something, always creating something. It's so utterly different um, from anything within it. Anything within it uh, is limited and is in time. But when you get to the whole thing that you are, it doesn't follow the same rules, and it is outrageous. And so I have no uh, kind of concern about saying this. Uh, and uh, I think I've grown into it. And I think, uh, to begin with, I was more like you in uh, that way of thinking about it, because I was so deeply conditioned into that way of thinking about myself. But as I've gone on and as I've read more of Douglas Harding and understood it more and just lived with it more and at ever deeper level said yes to it. I think the process of living with it, the process of maturing in it is essentially ever deeper yes to it. And you can't go all the way down to yes, 100% in a way. Uh, uh, you, you, it, it, it Gradually you you drop down another level into it, then you sort of integrate that, and you think you're there, and then you drop down into yet a deeper level. And I think it will always be like that. Uh, and so the, the wonderful discovery, uh, as I would say, that you were, you were never born and you'll never die, and you can't be, you can't, I mean, Richard will die. 
you know, don't come and hit me on the head and say, look, there you are, you're dead. Because <laughs> I mean, I get that, you know. But I'm talking about our true nature. Now, this is this is the great, this is the great uh, good news. Any other good news comes and goes, but this good news about you doesn't come and go. It's just outrageous, absolutely outrageous. Uh, and uh, the, you know, the longer you, I live, the the more mad and wonderful and crazy, just wonderful it is. Yeah. So uh, well, I mean, but as I say, I, I welcome all you know your view there, and I don't say it's wrong. I say we're different, and we're you know, vive la différence. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That was helpful for me. Thank you. Um, my three last questions. First, if you could choose what our listeners should take out of this conversation or more, it was an interview. Uh, what what would you say? What what is what is your main message? I hope to meet you, and I hope to celebrate with you our true nature uh, in one way or another. I. I uh, that would be lovely. Uh, I, I, I suppose uh, it, it, it's our birthright. It's nothing esoteric. It's given. Uh, and uh, we just got to sort of gradually get used to this new way of being in the world. And um, uh, my role here is just to say, you got it, you are it. That's what I think, yeah. Thank you. So with Lutai, I'm on the search for ideas or actions who try to increase the well-being on our planet, on our Earth. And I think that the Headless Way is a, is a very nice part on that journey, is, is very helpful. And I thank you very much for your uh, work which you and your dedication, which you put in this work. I think it's very useful, very helpful on a lot of levels. Uh, beside the headless way, I would like to ask my guests always if they have another idea or action about which they know and which they think that this idea would increase the well-being on our earth and, and maybe an idea which is not yet so far uh, spread. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you, Tom. I have not met you before. And a pleasure to meet you. And thank you for taking this step of uh, talking to me and then making this available as a video. So every little bit counts, you see, and, and helps get the good news out. And um, I, I think that the, uh, I don't know the answer to that question, except that I am deeply convinced that the, the great void that we are here uh, has things up its sleeve we haven't even dreamed of, just fantastic things. It's just so outrageously creative and off, you know, come from left field. So uh, I await with bated breath about what it's going to do next. <laughs> I, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's got some surprises, but not just for us, but, but for itself as well, because it doesn't know it. I mean, it just works in this just skillful uh, kind of not knowing way, you know, I mean, just astonishing, yeah. So, um, yeah. Thank you. I, yeah, thank you, delight to, to hang out with you.
Thank you. So my last uh, question is not really a question. If someone wants to get in touch with you or want to read more about you, where would you uh, uh, yes. uh, uh, point it? Well, we've got the website, of course, which is headless.org. And we have a YouTube channel, which you can get to through the website. Uh, my handle is Head Exchange, but Headless Way on YouTube. And also we've got an app. Uh, and we've just redeveloped it. It's free, Headless Way app, and uh, lots of books that we publish. You can uh, find out about them on the website. You can get them on Amazon. So just an enormous amount of things out there, huge amount for free. And uh, we do workshops, and we have regular Zoom meetings. I mean, six, seven, eight a week that are free of friends who meet to chat like we're doing about about the the challenges and joys of living from who we really are so do anyone watching do feel uh, if you are at all interested in this feel welcome to join us in our zoom meetings or of course look through the different uh, resources we've got thank you i i will uh put all the links in the description of the video and I can highly recommend all of them. I have the app, I read the book. Uh, I love your uh, work on the app from Sam Harris, uh, your, your course over there. And there is now a second course available there. I've also joined uh, two or three times the Zoom meeting with the German group. And it huh? was, was a nice gathering. I have to do it again. And I also once uh, was part of a, an online course, uh, a meeting that you uh, made for, I think, one or two hours. And I just can highly recommend it. It, it uh, improved my life, and I hope it's going to improve the life of our listeners. Thank you so, very much. Thank you very much, Richard. It was a big honor for me to talk with you, a really big honor, and uh, thank you. Thank you. Wonderful.